So we're going to pick back up tonight in our study of Revelation, looking at uh, a kind of a bird's eye overview. We've been talking about uh, the trumpets. We're actually going to finish the trumpets up, and we're going to look at one more seal that is opened. If you remember, at the beginning of Revelation, we're giving this picture of this seal that is sealed with seven seals, the scroll sealed with seven seals, and uh, Christ takes the scroll and he begins to break each of these seals and begins to unfold uh, the events of this time called the Great Tribulation, and we've looked at, as each one of these seals unfolds, events that will take place on the earth. We've looked at the one who is called Antichrist or the Beast in uh, Revelation chapter 13, his rise to power, we talked about some things we're probably pretty familiar with, the mark of the beast and, and all that goes along with that, and this guy called the false prophet. We spent some time with what Revelation shows as trumpets being sounded, as these angels begin to sound these trumpets, different things take place on the earth. And for the past couple times, we've addressed the question, um, what place does the church have in it? Uh, or when is the rapture? We, we looked at the differing points of view. There is mainly two camps, two uh, viewpoints when it comes to the rapture, the pre-tribulational rapture or the post-tribulation rapture. And uh, we looked at uh, both sides of that and, and, and what the Bible says about that. So we're going to kind of pick up on the tail end of that and then go right into some seven, uh, the seventh trumpet. So actually what I'd like you to do is turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to read the rapture passages if you want to deem them that way. Remember we said that the, the fact that Christ will gather His church to Him, that's a non-negotiable fact. That is going to happen. That is a fact of Scripture. Okay? When is the question? And we said we can have differing opinions on this and both sides see each one very um, passionately. And that for me is something I don't draw a doctrinal line on. Somebody believes different than I do, that's fine. I want you to believe what you believe. That's why I've given you all of these scriptures that talk about this. I want you to study the scripture and you see what you believe in your own heart. The non-negotiable fact is that Christ is coming back. And when He comes, He will gather His church to Him. And we will be with Him forever. So I want to read over those scriptures again and simply set before you a couple more ideas for your own um, your own study, your own thinking, and then we'll move on to trumpet number 7. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 is where I want to pick it up. Paul is writing here to the church at Thessalonica, and he says this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or those who are dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus, or those who are dead in Christ, will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain 
shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety. By the way, that was a, a, a Roman announcement. The Roman soldiers would walk the streets. And because of the Roman law, they would say, peace and safety. Everything is peaceful. Everything is safety. So this is ringing in their ears. Everybody's walking around. Even if there's a war going on, quite often the Roman soldiers would make this announcement. Everybody stay calm. There's nothing to worry about. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch. Well, let us watch for what? What is he talking about? The coming of Christ and by context in chapter 5, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord comes on, the, as, on those as a thief who are not watching. He says, you're not of the night. You are of the day. So watch. Be sober. Verse 7, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as you do. Again, I don't want to go totally over that. We, we spent quite a lot of time, but I want to kind of refresh some of these things in your mind that at the coming of the Lord, there is a shout, there is the voice of the archangel, there is the trump of God, the dead in Christ rising first, then we who are alive being caught up together with Him to forever be with Him. And Paul, in his thinking, ties that together with the day of the Lord for Many, that is separate. There is the rapture, the, uh, the imminent coming of Christ, and then there is the day of the Lord, which is the judgment. I see Paul here putting those together as he talks about the coming of the Lord and says, hey, this is what we're watching for. It is a day of wrath and it is a day of salvation. Wrath for those who are not watching or are not right with the Lord and for deliverance and salvation for those who are His. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, turn over there. That's the other passage we're really familiar with. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and look at verse 51. Paul writing here to the church at Corinth, he says this, after going on a very long discussion, very beautiful discussion of the resurrection, he says, well, let's back up to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, 
Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You remember that passage from Isaiah chapter 25? When Isaiah is talking about the day of the Lord, and he says, When that finally comes, death will be swallowed up in victory. And Paul is quoting that. And so we, we took a tour back through the Old Testament. We looked at the book of Joel. We looked at the book of Zechariah in several passages in Isaiah to see where this language is getting pulled from, this shouting, this trumpet. They're not pulling it from Revelation. Revelation hasn't been written yet. Revelation and John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they're the last books written in the Bible, close to, oh, probably 30 or 40 years after most of the New Testament is already written. So, Paul's not looking forward and pulling trumpet uh, language. He's pulling it from the Old Testament, which talk about God sounding His trumpet and His day coming and Him gathering together from all corners of the earth His people and pouring out wrath on the nations. And Paul, here in both of these passages, turns our eyes to what he calls in, uh, I believe it's 1 Timothy, the blessed hope of Christ coming and gathering His people together to Him. But that's kind of where we left off. We introduced the seventh trumpet. So let's go back to their Revelation chapter 10. There's some things that are said here that uh, cause me to stop and think. Paul says at the last trumpet. He also says there's a trump of God. Joel says the trump of God sounds. I want you to notice in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 7. Again, we're kind of just catching up. Revelation 10 and verse 7. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. The mystery of God will be finished. When the seventh trumpet sounds, the mystery of God is done. Well, what's that mystery? We took a tour back through the book of Ephesians, if you remember. How the mystery of God is how He can take uh, both Jew and Gentile and by grace through faith and through the church make together one body for Christ. He, he brings all peoples into this one body, the church. That the Gentiles can be fellow heirs. Abraham is my forefather by faith because of the church. Because of Christ. Because of what He did. He's not my national forefather, but He is my forefather by faith. See, that's what... God has done. He has brought us together. And the mystery that Paul was preaching, the thing that had been hidden through the ages, was this church, the church age. And he states that all through the, the, uh, the book of Ephesians. He states it in Colossians and several other places that we looked at. And here it says, When the seventh angel sounds, the mystery is done. And we talked about the idea, well, does Revelation mention the church after chapter 3 or chapter 4? It mentions a lot of people called saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 says you are called saints, the church of God. In fact, uh, I believe three or four of Paul's letters start that way. Daniel chapter 7 says the Antichrist makes war with the saints. In fact, 13 times in Revelation the word saints is Mentioned. It is my belief that the church is here. The church is here to endure, to go through. Protected by God, 
strengthened by God, but I believe she is here and is waiting for this seventh trumpet. People can have a, a, a difference of opinion. That's fine. That's fine. To me, it's not going to break the bank. <laughs> because as long as we both agree that Christ is coming, hey, that's what we're living for, right? And whether it's before the tribulation or whether we go through and, and experience some, some persecution, that is the goal. And regardless, I need to be living every day to meet Him because I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. My rapture, if, it, if you want to call it that, could happen any moment. I could drop dead in the middle of a sentence and go on to meet my Savior. So um, we ought to be living ready for Him every day. But that's, that's my personal opinion, and I want to show you really where I kind of hang my hat on that. And if the Lord leads you to that, that's fine. If, if the Lord leads you differently, that's fine as well. But I want to show you what I believe. In Revelation chapter 11, let's look at verse uh, 15. It's that phrase Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15, at the last trump. The last trumpet. So, in my own studies, I've gone here and it says, at His coming, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, and the, the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world now have become the kingdom of Christ. How does that happen? Do they willingly give themselves over? No. We saw multiple times in the trumpets and the descriptions that even though these bad things are happening, people are not repenting, are they? They're not repenting. In fact, they're still doing the old sins they used to do, and they're, they're getting angry at God. So it's not all of a sudden this trumpet sounds, and everybody says, oh, you know what, I'm going to worship Him. No. How do the kingdoms of this world become His? Because He comes back to take them over. This is mine now. There's no more of this nation and that nation. No, I am king of the earth. The kingdoms of this world are become His, and He shall reign forever and ever. Hold on, I lost my place. Let's keep reading. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And that thou shouldst give reward unto the servants thy prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of the testament. And there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and a great hail. Verse 15 tells me he comes back to take kingdoms. He reigns now. If you want to keep your finger here and go back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, I want you to see a couple verses there. Again, we're going to be pretty... Pretty heavy on the Scripture tonight. I want to set what the Bible says before you so you know what it says for yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's look at verse 20. Christ comes to take the kingdoms, right? That's the only way that can happen. The kingdoms are now His. He is reigning because He is here. Verse 20. 
Now is Christ risen from the dead? This is in a defense for the um, resurrection. And become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He's talking about Christ being the, the first fruits, the example of the resurrection, the glorified body that is to come. Verse 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at His coming. So Christ is the example of the glorified body. And we receive ours, they that are His, at His coming. Phrases like that mean something to me. At His coming. We receive a glorified body. The dead people who are asleep in Christ receive their glorified body at His coming. Then cometh the end, verse 24, when He has he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. He comes, sets up His kingdom. At the moment He comes, glorified bodies are given out. I see that happening in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. Verse 17, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 11, if you want to go back there. Verse 17 says, He takes His great power to Himself. It's not given to Him, He takes it as He rules the nation. Verse 18, and notice that first phrase in verse 18 of Revelation chapter 11. And the nations were angry. Does that ring any kind of bells? you've read any of the Psalms recently, it might ring a bell. Why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations go in vain? Let me read you Psalm 2. It says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And it goes on to, to see how, how uh, this world is against God. But let me tell you what also it says. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. You know what God looks down on people that are burning Bibles, that are blasphemous to His name? You know what He, look, he looks at? His reaction to that is, ultimately? It's going to be judgment. That's what this laugh is. It's not like it tickles Him. It's like, who do you think you are? Because there's going to come a day when people have to answer to Him. When He shows up on the scene, He says He shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak unto them His wrath and vex them. All these nations that have been going against God and hating God, the world as a whole hating God, one day it's going to be returned. Do you understand that? The wrath of God is going to come on this world. Psalm 2 talks about that. That's what John is quoting here. He shall speak to them in His wrath. I have set my king on the holy hill of Zion. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled. This is a fulfillment. This is the fulfillment of some of the things that are talked about in Scripture. Psalm 2 is a 
prophecy of when Christ comes. The nations were angry, and thy wrath is come. That's what it says, right? He comes to judge. It says it's the time of the dead that they should be judged, and time to give reward unto thy servants, the prophets. That's the Old Testament. To thy saints, that's the church, and them that fear thy name. I believe that is also those who are those who come to Christ during the tribulation period. Small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. Seven trumpet sounds. Christ comes. He begins His kingdom. He takes over and He begins to rule and reign as King Supreme. Verse eight, uh, the last part of verse 19 also gives us another clue. He says the temple is open and He sees the, the ark and, and all of that in heaven. But it says there's lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. There's also some natural things that begin to take place. So there's one more thing as you bear in mind what we've studied before. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Am I going too fast? Are we all kind of... Our minds are not spinning (laughs) too much like a couple lessons ago. (laughs) I want you to notice what it says in the sixth seal. And I beheld... Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Anybody ever have those old school uh, uh, blinds? The ones where it's like one continued piece of fabric and you have to like pull it down a little bit to go up. And if you let it go, <laughs> if you pull it down and let it go, it just goes up with up there in the, the top. That's the picture I get. Heaven, the sky, does that. If you, if you would roll out a scroll, of course it's rolled together. You let it go, what happens? It comes together. There's going to come a day when this seal is open, the sky splits. It's rolled together like a scroll. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? So we have all these things happening, and I I don't know if you remember some of the passages that we looked at in the Old Testament, but hopefully this language sounds a little bit familiar to some things that Joel said, or Zechariah, or Isaiah said, and we're going to go there in just a minute. But The sun becoming black, and the moon becoming like blood, and things falling from the heavens. But I want you to notice what these people say in verse 16. Fall on us to the mountains. Fall on us to the rocks. Hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Which means they now see who is sitting on the throne. They now know who the Lamb is. 
and His wrath has come. Didn't it say in chapter 11, the kingdoms are now become the kingdoms of our Christ and our Lord? Verse 18, the nations were angry and Thy wrath is come. And now they're saying, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They see Him, there is no guessing who this is and who this is all coming from. I believe this also takes place when He comes to set up His kingdom. So lest you think I'm pulling this out of nowhere, let's go back to the Old Testament for a couple more passages. Isaiah. Turn to the book of Isaiah. Probably one of the hardest books to understand in the Old Testament. One of the most heaviest books to read. I don't know if you do uh, reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, But if you come to Isaiah, (laughs) it's a big, heavy book. But I'm telling you what, if you begin to understand some of the things that it talks about are are, uh, a fulfillment then, but also pointing towards what is to come, it begins to unlock some things. You begin to see beauty in in some of these scriptures. Isaiah chapter 2, and look in verse 10. Okay, so keep in mind what we just read about seal 6. Let me just read that to you real quick, okay? I want want you to keep it in the front of your mind. So that you say, I'm not pulling this out of nowhere or I'm trying to force something out of context. Sixth seal is opened. There's a great earthquake. The sun became black, a sackcloth of hair. Uh, The moon became blood. Stars of heaven fell like a fig tree casting your untiming figs. Heaven departs as a scroll. Every mountain and island moved out of their places. The kings of the earth hiding themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and saying, Fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Okay? Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 10. Enter into the rock. Hide in the dust for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. There's going to be no proud people on this day. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. The kingdoms of the earth are now become His. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon and that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains and all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, every fenced wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, upon all the pleasant pictures. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And the idols he shall utterly abolish. Verse 19. Maybe you want to write Revelation chapter 6 by this. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty when He ariseth to to shake terribly the earth. John's not pulling this language out of thin air. Christ is not showing and uh, revealing this to John and telling him to write these things down on a whim. Scriptures already spoke of this day. The prophets of long ago already saw it. So, you see, if we were a little bit more familiar with the Old Testament, when we read things like uh, the sixth seal and the seventh trumpet and things like that, it would ring a bell. Whoa, that's what Isaiah said. 
Pretty much word for word, right? A couple phrases. Go to chapter 13. Chapter 13, and look at verse, let's begin in the verse 6. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them, and they shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. Huh. Who said that? Didn't Paul say that? When they say peace and safety, the day will overtake them as labor pains does a woman. He's talking about how the day of the Lord will come in wrath on those who are against Him. And they'll be afraid and they'll be in pain like a woman that travails. See, Paul doesn't pull language out of thin air either. He's using language of the Old Testament to give us a picture. They shall be amazed at one another. Their faces shall be as flames. Verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall, cause, shall not cause her light to shine. Ringing bells? And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man in the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore will I shake the heavens and the earth will remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. See the Old Testament? Speaking of things to come, I think the AC dial went off. That's not in the Bible. That's just the pastor's request. <laughs> we don't have time to go back through all the Old Testament. Joel says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, for the day of the Lord cometh. It's here. The Lord shall utter His voice. This is the day of the Lord over and over again like we've already saw. And I also, well, they see something, they, they, they prophesy something that could take place now and take place later. I, do you guys have titles in your Bibles? So, on chapter 13, does it say anything about Babylon in Isaiah 13? Mine says the burden of Babylon, right? Okay, so the first, well, the first verse, the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. Okay, so... Isaiah is looking forward as he sees this, and he sees the destruction of Babylon. That the Lord is going to come in his fierce anger, he's going to wipe it out. We read about that in the book of Daniel a couple Sundays ago. Belshazzar is slain, and the king is taken over, the kingdom is taken over. So Isaiah is seeing first the destruction of Babylon, and he's talking to that first. So am I pulling it out of context when I say, hey, when Isaiah says this here, Look at this over in Revelation. He says the same thing. Am I, am I messing with Scripture and moving things out of place and say, oh, you're just bending that to fit your theology? No, I'm not. And here's why. 
Everything in the Bible, pretty much, even all of the stories and the, the events that take place, they are shadows and they are types of what is called the anti-type or the final type. So you can see uh, pictures of Christ all over the Old Testament, right? All of the sacrifices, the blood that was shed had for the remission of sins. Yes, that had an immediate uh, uh, instruction, but ultimately every lamb that was slain was pointing to Christ when He would come give His blood as the sacrifice for sin. So it had an immediate fulfillment, but it also had a type. And all of these accounts that happen, actually these quite repetitive things that happen, man falls, he goes against God, he goes against God's people, man sets up his own kingdom over and over and over, and those kingdoms are oppressive, those kingdoms are evil, they rule over other peoples, they, they oppress God's people. God confronts that evil. That evil is punished and God's people is delivered. That's a story that takes place multiple times in the Old Testament, doesn't it? Like Egypt. Like Babylon and Assyria. Over and over again, uh, God confronts an evil nation, delivers His people, and punishes the evil nation. All of that is pointing to the day when He ultimately punishes evil. Do you know, uh, as, Moses, as they come out the Red Sea, and, and uh, even as the Passover is getting instituted, but as they come over the Red Sea, Moses makes a couple statements like, Hey, remember this day the Lord worked for you. That's the first kind of a mention of the day of the Lord. Like this is the day when the Lord stepped in and He squashed Egypt. He punished Egypt. And Isaiah is prophesying here, there's going to come a day when God punishes Babylon. But ultimately, it's all pointing to the the day. These are like little D days. There's a big D day of the Lord when He comes back and He punishes evil, period. All kingdoms are put down. Christ is King. All evil is put down and righteousness reigns. That's also what the prophets looked forward to when the day that God would ultimately punish evil and deliver His people. So no, I don't think I'm using it out of context. I think John uses this language for a reason because he sees what the prophets were pointing to. Literally, it's revealed to him, this is coming. The Lord is coming back. Here's how it's going to happen. And he's, he, <coughs> he sees all of these stories in the Old Testament, all these promises in the Old Testament, and he pulls from it and says, hey, that's what he was talking about. It's finally coming when evil is done and Christ reigns. Matthew chapter 24. This will be the last little piece, I guess, in my defense. <laughs> That's a that's not shouldn't say it that way. <laughs> In my thought process on when I believe Christ is coming back to rapture his people together. Again, maybe it's a lot to process. Maybe you're familiar with some of this. I just see it all tied together. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to kind of jump right in. We we've looked over this many times. Let's just pick it up in verse 
29. Immediately, this is Christ speaking of His own return, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Jesus didn't make this up either. You see now, He's quoting Old Testament. The sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Sounds like seal number six, doesn't it? And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all of the tribes of the earth mourn. Hide us. Fall on us. Hide us from the face of Him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Pause there, Revelation 11. The kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of, the Christ, of, of, our, of God and of His Christ. The nations were angry, but Thy wrath is come. He has taken to Himself His great power and has reigned. Seventh trump. They shall see Him coming with power and great glory. Verse 31, And He shall send His angels with the great sound of a trumpet. Hmm. And they shall gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. For me, the pieces all fall in place. I see it here. Seal number 6. Trumpet number 7. During the last three and a half years of the tribulation, Christ comes. It's a day of wrath for the people of the earth. But for His elect, it is the gathering together where we shall be with Him forever. Comfort one another with these words. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When the branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye shall know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near. What is it? His coming. Even at the doors. Luke chapter 21. Let's look at something he says there in a, a different account. Luke chapter 21 is Luke's recording of Matthew chapter 24, if you want to put it that way. Let's pick it up in verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun, Luke 21 and 25. There shall be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars. And upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Glory, Verse 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. He spake unto them a parable, Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, Ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. I love that phrase. <laughs> the kingdom of God is almost here. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that the day come upon you unawares. 
For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. This day is going to come like that for all unbelievers, for all those that have turned their back on Him and that aren't watching for Him. It will come as a thief. But what does He say? Don't get caught up in the world so it doesn't take you unawares. What did Paul say? It's not going to come on you like a thief. We're not children of the night. We're children of the day. Our eyes are wide open. We understand what's going on. Verse 36, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Why does he say escape? Well, God's wrath comes on sin. God's wrath comes on the nations of the earth that are pushing against Him. It comes on unbelief. So we ought to be watching and make sure we want no part of that, right? Remember, we're not appointed to wrath, but to salvation. This day is not going to be a day of fear for us. It's not going to be a day of wrath for us. No, it is the day of our deliverance, which we will be longing for looking for, hastening to, as Peter says in his epistle. So I'll simply leave that. If you have any questions, you can ask me later and we can discuss. But I, I want to kind of move in to just a couple other things. Go back to Revelation 11. We're going to pick back up there anyways. So we've seen all the trumpets now. We've seen six of the seals. The seventh trumpet, regardless of if you believe that is the moment the, the church is caught up to him or not, or if you believe that has already happened, regardless, the seventh trump sounds, Christ comes to reign. That's another non-negotiable. He comes to reign in his kingdom. Notice what verse 14 says. The second woe is past, the third woe cometh quick, and then he goes into the seventh trumpet. You see, for the people of this earth, the nations of this earth, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be scary. It's going to be a day of wrath. I believe when Christ comes at this moment, the chances are gone. The age of grace is done. We live in the age of grace, right? What is the Bible full of, the New Testament full of? grace the grace of god we are saved by grace through faith and god is gracious toward us you know that in your own life how many times we mess up and yet he is gracious enough to forgive us and restore us and put us back on the path god is so gracious god is gracious to the people spewing blasphemies those who are burning bibles you know what should happen the minute they light it with a match they should be consumed in flame treating the word of god like that if god wasn't as gracious as he is but no, He's gracious and He's merciful and He gives us chance after chance. I remember feeling conviction when I was in a, just an eight-year-old boy. I remember feeling conviction for a couple weeks. I wasn't saved the first time I realized I was a sinner and, and realized I was bound for hell and all of that. I, I wasn't saved that first time I heard about it. No, God dealt with me for a couple weeks. That's grace. That's God's grace. Some people talk about God dealing with them for years, decades even, until they finally bow before Him and say, you know what, I'm a sinner, Lord. I trust in Christ. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. All that time that God gives us is grace. 
We live in the age of grace. When Christ comes again, that age is done. He does not come as the lamb. He comes as the lion of the tribe of Judah. To break evil. To punish evil. To put down the nations of this earth. And humanity up to that point will have had all of human history to repent. (laughs) And at this time, no more. (laughs) But I want you to know even during this time, during this seven years, actually in reality three and a half years of almost hell on earth, even during that time, the gospel will be going out in a very powerful and unmistakable way. Not only through His church. We're not going to stop because things get bad. In fact, you look back in times of persecution, under the persecution of the Romans, under the Jewish persecution in the book of Acts, what happened to the church? Boom! It exploded, didn't it? The same thing in the Dark Ages. The church explodes. It's just what we do under persecution. The greatest enemy of the church is the past last 250 years. When we get rich, fat, and happy. But it seems to be when the world begins to bear down on the people of God, oh man, there's a spirit that comes about us. God gives us even more grace and the gospel goes out like never before. So it won't be just His people, but there's two special people mentioned. They're called the two witnesses. And we'll pick up looking at them next week. So again, probably a lot to think about. Some you might be familiar with, some you might have heard before. I pray it's helpful to you, at least it gets you to study your Bible and and solidify your own position. That's the most important. What do you believe uh, rather than what I say? You need to stand on what you believe about the Bible. So to all those tuning in, I pray it was a blessing. And uh, we'll see you again Sunday at 10 a.m. Any questions or comments? <laughs> Imagine me trying to put the lesson together. <laughs> I, de- I tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm falling more and more in love with the Old Testament. Man, it is so rich. And we just, we don't know enough of it. We, if once we, once we begin to understand what's there, Man, just to me, things begin to connect across Scripture as we just see God's plan uh, throughout all of the Bible. Brother Bob. Uh, That's Trumpet 5, I believe. Yes, trumpet five, trumpet six, and trumpet seven. So, when the Antichrist is unleashed with all his power, the destruction that comes from it, and then Christ coming back to establish his kingdom. Any other questions, comments? Prayer requests, last minute.
announcements? We've got some signs in the works um, for next Saturday. Let's keep that in prayer as well. We're going to do drive-through prayer starting at 8 o'clock. Go for a little bit. Uh, so we'll have some signs, Some uh, just real simple signs. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves everyone. Need peace. If you need peace, come pray. Something like that. Can I pray with you? It's just some of the stuff we've already written down on signs. We're going to have them made. So instead of having to hold them up, maybe you can hang them around your neck or have them on a stick or something like that. Uh, as well as we're getting some handouts made uh, that we can just give to the people in cars. So got some of that in work. Please keep that in prayer as well. If all hearts are clear, 